going to uh, go back into the early part of Genesis uh, and read about the Tower of Babel. A a few months ago, I think, someone wrote a question on a connection card and uh, asked, how tall is the Tower of Babel? So let me just answer that real quick because I'll forget to do it in the middle of the sermon. Don't know. Don't know. Pretty tall. Pretty tall. Okay. Um, But we're going to be talking about the Tower of Babel. And I think um, one thing that's important to understand when we go into, especially into the Old Testament, um, is when we are reading some of these stories, when we go back, you know, and look at, um, well, like a couple weeks ago, we looked at the flood. We talked about the flood and the ark and Noah and the animals and and uh, we talked about how the, that story is a poem, and it's important to understand the, the kind of story that's being told, the kind of literature that you're reading. Uh, well, here in, in the Tower of Babel, this is one chapter after the flood, and this story is also a poem. And this handy graphic will show you... Yeah, all right. So if you remember, the, that, this parallel structure um, is evidence of of it being intentionally a poem. And all of the parallels lead to a a climax, which there is there at the beginning of verse 5, and the Lord came down. So this story is a poem. Um, As a poem, if you run across something in this story that sounds a bit poetic, guess what? It's a poem, right? So uh, we shouldn't be surprised to find those things. Um, our focus this morning, well, I'll probably point out one or two of those sort of poetic elements in the story. Our focus is going to be on why is the story in the Bible, not how is the story being told. So we're not really going to focus on the poetry of it. We're going to find why is this captured and preserved by God for us, and what is this telling us about God. Okay. As I said, the story comes up in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, it means this very early on in human history, very early, the world has been broken by sin. And I like, I like to call it broken because I think, of a, uh, I think if you were going to paint something on a piece of glass, and I don't know that anyone paints on glass, but just follow me. If someone were to paint a painting and it's beautiful, I mean, it's really, really beautiful and intricate and were to paint it on a piece of glass, and you could just marvel at it, and everything works together, and it tells a story, and it's, and it's gorgeous. And it also tells you something about who created it, right? You could find something. You would, you would know that the person who created it was creative and is good with colors, whatever. It tells you. It tells you something about the creator. Well, God created creation, and it was very good. And he made man as the pinnacle of his creation, and his creation was very good. When we, because God gave us, God made us in his image. He made us different from the rest of creation. And this is, this is free, by the way. This is almost nothing to do with the sermon. But God made us in his image. He gave us authority. He gave us the ability to choose. He made us creative. He made us uh, communicators. He gave us fellowship with him. And he put us in charge of creation. The the way the Bible says is that uh, God gave us dominion over creation. He put us in charge of the beautiful thing that he had made, and we're part of it. And then we broke it. 
So when we took that authority that God gave us and decided to do something that doesn't honor God, that's not part of the picture, we brought something the Bible calls sin into God's perfect picture. And what happened is that the picture shattered, like someone hit it with a hammer. So now, when our world that we live in now, it is beautiful, amen? But it's broken, amen? And we can still see how beautiful it is, and we can still see something about God that's true by looking at his creation, that God is good, and he is, and he's creative, and he is wonderful. We can still see those things, but, we can all, but, but it's broken. It's shattered. It's been fractured, and the things don't match up. How many of us have had cancer? How many of us know somebody who's had cancer? Cancer is, is part of the brokenness of the world. It's not part of how God made it. It is part of it being broken and not, not matching up. Like Legos. Legos fit together a certain way. They've got little notches and they've got little holes. And if you start mashing them together in the wrong way, they're not going to fit together right anymore. And so that's, that's what happens in the world. The world is broken by sin. And that's not God's doing. That's our doing. Now, God, from the very beginning, has had a plan to restore creation, to bring it back to the very good thing that he wants it to be, that he's always wanted it to be. But back very early on in the Bible... After, after sin has come into the world, the world has been broken by sin. People are, are now corrupted by sin. And instead of, instead of being drawn toward God and what God wants, we're drawn away from him and toward what the Bible calls sin. We have this internal desire to sin. God has already shown in the, in the Bible, this is, I, I'm, I'm giving you like early biblical context, the world has been broken. We are corrupted by sin. People are bad. God has shown that he hates sin, but he's also shown that he loves us. He loves people, and he wants to redeem us. He wants to forgive us. He wants to restore his creation. And the way to do that is through faithfulness. But very early on, after the flood, God told Noah's family, go and fill the earth. Go and fill the earth. This is uh, Genesis 9.1. Go and fill the earth. Spread out. But on our own, we're sinful. We don't want to do the thing that God wants. So open your Bibles. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11, right at the beginning. If you're using the red Bibles that are under the chairs, it's on page 8. This is Genesis chapter 11, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Can you just tell me what's wrong with that? What, 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 is, the, what is the problem with them finding... Well, Shinar, by the way, is just general Mesopotamia, so they haven't got far and they decide, I, I like this land. Let's just settle down here. What's the problem with that? God told them to spread out, fill the earth. Okay? So we're go this is way back in human history. 
And when we read the stories from early on in Genesis, remember that these are written down not just to record that these things happened, but to tell us why they happened. The Bible is doing theology more than it's doing history, in other words. You understand? The Bible is telling you God's story. It's not just telling you this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, just for the sake of telling you that events happened. The events don't matter. God matters, okay? The Bible is telling you God's story. So this is doing interpretation of an event. Uh, God's telling us about himself, the history here about people in one language and the, the, the plain and the land of Shinar. That's the plate that the meal is being served on. You understand? It's just the avenue for telling the story. Okay. So verse two says, as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, this is a poem. There's some figurative language going on. Let me point out that in Genesis, when it talks about the east, it's talking about being outside God's blessing. I put that in your notes. The east represents being outside God's blessing. For example, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, they were kicked out to the east, and an angel was placed at the entrance to the garden on the east to to stop them from being able to come back. And when Lot left Abraham, he left to go to the east. And when, uh, uh, and Sodom and Gomorrah are in the east. So early in Genesis, especially in Genesis, the east always represents being outside God's will. You're not following God, okay? So, um, Verse 2 is telling us that these people are not listening to God. They're outside God's blessing. And it's illustrated by the fact that they don't want to spread out. They were trying to settle down. Verses 3 and 4. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So what are they trying to do? They're trying to not get spread out. They're trying to stay in one place. And they think, they think to do that, building a really big building is going to be important for that endeavor. And they're right. I mean, if you think about, if you think, think about being a settler, think about the westward expansion in America. As you, as you expand out westward, all this land, all this land, and you get to a piece of land and you go, oh, I really like it here. It's got a lake, it's got a river, it's got fish, it's got trees, it's got good land. We could, we could, we could really do something here. And you find land but the first thing you have to figure out is, does someone else live here, right? Is this someone else's land? And so you look around, you go, what are you looking for? You're looking for evidence that someone, that someone has established themselves on that land. And if no one has, what are you going to do? You're going to build something, right? You're going you're gonna to do something on the land that shows that I, I live here and I'm intending on staying here. And this is my land. So that if someone else shows up 
they will see a building and a fence and some stables, and they'll see a well, and they'll go, oh, this is someone else's land, obviously, right? So you want to establish yourself there. Well, they're doing the same thing. They're, they've, been dis- they've, they've been, this is after the flood, and they go out, and they find, this, they find this plot of land, this plain, and they say, we love it here. I don't want to keep moving. Let's just stay. So they decide to build a building. But here's the important part is they're not just trying to establish themselves against the claim of, of maybe other settlers who are coming. They're trying to establish themselves against God's claims, against what God's commanded them to do. So they're not just trying to build a building. They're trying to build a building that's big enough where they don't have to listen to God anymore. And an ancient reader would read this story and would hear them say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And they would have understood that this is, is an attempt to become like God. Maybe you'd, we are not, we're thousands of years removed from that context, but they would have understood that. In fact, in the ancient Near East, they've got these buildings called ziggurats. And they were built, as far as we know, with the, uh, as an attempt to reach the heavens and as a sort of stairway to the gods, to become like the gods. So this is not just an attempt to establish yourself so that other people who come by will know that that's your land. That's their attempt to establish themselves against God and to say, we can stay here even though you've told us to move on. We want to stay here, and I do what I want. So we've got people who don't like what God has told them to do, so they're trying to become more like God. The, the irony is that we're already like God. God made us in his image. God made us like him. He gave us authority. He made us creative. He gave us a spirit that is able to have some fellowship with God. We are already like God. But it's just never enough, is it? And that attitude has plagued us since the beginning. We aren't satisfied to be made in God's image. Being like him isn't enough. We want more. We want more control. We want more power. We want more knowledge. Go back to the garden. What, what did uh, the serpent tempt Eve with? What was the temptation? You won't die, like God said. In fact, you'll become like him. We're already like him, but it's never enough. And the problem that we find, the root of the problem, is pride. We're not happy to just be made in God's image. We're not, made, uh, we're not happy to follow him. We don't want to be managers of his creation. We want to be owners. We want to be our own boss. And that's pride. It's been like that since the very first sin. Your eyes will be opened, the serpent said, and you will be like God. And we see that happening again here. They don't want to just follow God. 
They want to be more like him than he, than he will allow. We see that here in the Tower of Babel. But the nice thing is, God doesn't just leave us there. Amen? So let's keep reading. This is verses 5 and 6. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they'll do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Sounds great, right? Go us. We're pretty impressive, right? People, we're capable of amazing things. That's what God sees. God sees what we were doing and says, you know what? Look at, look at, look at the people. And they're all together. And they put their minds to it. Nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. You and I know, we know that we're pretty impressive. I mean, I know I'm pretty impressive. I think you're pretty impressive. Um, we've, we've mapped the human genome. We've harnessed solar energy. We've internet, cell phones. We're, we can do crazy things. We're pretty impressive. Human capacity, our potential is really, really impressive. It really is. It really is. I'm not just saying that to set you up for something. We really are really impressive. We can do a lot of things. But that capacity, that potential, God knows because he made us like this. We're impressive because God's more impressive. He made us in his image. There's a reason why we can communicate differently than all of the rest of creation. There's a reason why you don't have talking squirrels or trees that walk around. There's a reason why the ferns don't build cities. Because God made us like him, nothing else. God made us like him, made us in his image. You want another freebie? Here's a freebie. Let's take the idea of evolution. You've got one thing. Life started at one point, and then it, and then it grows, and it splits, and it mutates, and it, and it gets, you know, it's like a, it's an inverted triangle, right? And it just, and it develops, and it, things change differently, and then keep, things keep changing, and the strong things survive, and the weak things die, and it's random, right? It's random, and it's just all changing and all changing, and then you get up to where we are right now, and everything should be pretty much level, right? Because all of the strongest things survived and the weakest things died. Well, then why is there such a difference between, or why do we have, you know, a virus that's alive and we've got, you know, a Venus flytrap and we've got, you know, my dog, right? Your cat, <laughs> your sister's cat, my brother's dog, and then us, and we are just crazy different, better, more advanced than anything else in the world. I mean, we've got to the moon. 
that's, that's God. That's God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. That was free. Let me get back. We are made in God's image. We're creative like him, unparalleled in the rest of creation. But because we're capable of truly amazing things means we're also, because of the brokenness of our world and the corruption of sin, capable of amazing destruction. Our potential is for good and for bad. And so God is looking at this and is saying, man, if they really want to do something, they'll be able to do whatever they want. The problem is sin. The problem is, is that God created us to be able to do anything we want in his good creation. But when creation broke, he knew that we would want to do do things that hurt people and that hurt God's creation, that we would not take care of it. And that's a problem. The way I wrote it in in your outline is that evil, the evil in the world, our evil and sin, plus unlimited potential equals bad news. It is bad news. You can't let bad people have unlimited power. And that's what we are. So in this story, God doesn't actually seem very worried about the tower itself. It's the attitude behind it that he seems concerned about. And what will they do next? He doesn't want us to keep going down that path, so he intervened. Let's keep reading. This is verse 7. God said, Come, let us go down. I don't like the way that the translation says it. It should probably say, Come, let's go down there and confuse their language. Let's go down and confuse their language so that They may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God always wins, right? He gets what he wants. You might not like it, because it might not be the thing that you want. But there's a really important biblical principle in this story. I wrote it in your notes. It says, for our good, for our good and for his glory, God sometimes messes things up for us. And I didn't have a more theological way to put that. For our good and for his glory, God sometimes messes things up for us because the thing that you want isn't necessarily the thing that's best for you. If you're a parent, you know that if you have kids. The thing they want is not always what's best for them. In fact, it's usually not what's best for them. If, if I gave Aiden and Levi everything that they want, they would be eating candy all the time. They would, they would snack and then they, and they wouldn't sleep at all, and then they would get mad, and then they would get sick, and they would never go to school. Actually, in like school. He still would go to school. That'll change. <laughs> the point is that we don't always know what's actually good for us. We just know what we want. But sometimes what we want is 
is shrouded and, and, and is shaded by sin. And so the things that we want don't honor God. And when we're headed in the wrong direction, God steers us closer to his will. He steers us toward what he wants. In this story, he steered them toward humility and away from pride. He humbled them by confusing their language, and he took that pride away. He also took away that potential because it would be used for too much destruction. God takes care of us, amen, even when we don't like it, because he's a good father. He's a good father. Let me ask you this. Has God ever gotten in the middle of something that you're trying to do? If he hasn't, you're not paying attention. Has God ever messed something up for you? For me, uh, when I was, after I graduated from college, I, I genuinely was wondering, what does God want me to do? Where, where do I go from here? And, and I, I started looking back in, in, in my life, and I started asking you know, how has God built me, and how, you know, what does he want me to do? And, and I thought he wanted me to become a teacher. So I went, I got my teaching credential, and I was going to become an elementary school teacher. And as I walked down that path, I kid you not, I watched God mess stuff up for me. I was watching it happen. I would watch him open a door, and I would go, well, thank you, Jesus. And then as soon as I get close to the door, wham! Like I could feel the gust of the door slamming and it didn't hurt me, but it could have. And I went, I'm so confused right now. I thought you just opened that door for me. And as I kept trying, he kept shutting things and, and, and messing up what I was trying to do. And it got so frustrating that I, one day I sat down with, with Missy and, I, and I, I started crying. I just like, I don't know what God wants. I really don't. I mean, I, th- I, thought, I really thought he wanted me to become a teacher. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just in the wrong hallway. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm trying the wrong doors. I, I really don't know. I mean, I have been thinking about going into ministry, but that's just like, no, I, I can't do that. That's silly. And she goes, well, I've been thinking about you going into ministry. And I went, no. And I went and talked to my pastor and I went and talked to my dad. I talked to a bunch of people. And every single one of them was like, well, we've all been just waiting for you to figure it out. <laughs> and I went, I mean, someone could have told me because I thought, I mean, I thought I was heading the right direction. But God messed that up for, for me, for me. And he does that because he loves us and because we don't always get it right. Maybe you have a story like that. I bet you do. About you trying to get your way and God stopped you. My point is that God's not shy about ruining our plans. Amen? And if God's reigning on your parade, you might be marching in the wrong parade. Our, our responsibility is to be faithful to him. 
And you can, like me, try to be faithful, but just be headed in the wrong direction. Listen. Listen to him. He'll show you. If he starts slamming doors in your face, you have to keep going. But be sensitive. Is, 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 are these moments where God is telling you, I need you to change? I need you to head in a different direction? Or is there something else in your life that God is waiting for you to, to change before he really starts opening those doors? Because God loves us enough to not leave us exactly like we are. He's constantly moving us. He's constantly moving in our hearts. So we just move a step at a time. And one way that you know that God is working is if it's damaging your pride. If whatever's going on in your life is hurting your ego, that is always good from God's perspective. It always hurts from our perspective. But for God, your pride taking a hit is always for his good, for his glory. So be on the lookout for that. I know you don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it either. But sometimes God messes up, God messes up our plans. As we wrap up, I want to look back at the story and just I want to point out a couple things. The first one is that in the Tower of Babel, the people think that they've accomplished something huge, something amazing, something marvelous. They're really going to make a name for themselves. Hey, let's make a name for ourselves, a name so great that we can stay here. We don't have to listen to God anymore. They think they've done something really, really impressive. They think. But what happens in the story, and this is part of the the poetry of the story, is in verse 5, God from heaven looks down and says, oh, they're building something. Let's go down so we can can look at it. Now, the the irony in the story is that the people think that they're building something that's going to allow them to reach into the heavens and be like God. But God from heaven looks down and goes, let's go down and take a closer look because what they think they did that was so impressive from God's perspective, it's very, very small. It's very small. And sometimes in our lives, you've got something that is really, really important to you because you're staring at it like this and it's really, really close. And if you can get a little bit of perspective, you'll see how small it actually is. And the real goal is to see it from God's perspective and to understand the things that are really, really seem really, really important to you right now, to God might not matter really at all. We need to find that perspective. And the second thing I wanted to point out is that the Tower of Babel is a portrait of sin. And God doesn't want to just keep punishing sin He doesn't want to just disperse us and scatter us. He doesn't want to just flood the place. He doesn't want to just pour out his wrath. He wants us to come back to him. He wants to lead us back to him. He wants to restore us. And after the tower, as people are scattered, so this is in in chapter 11, he, he scatters people and they're divided and they don't communicate to each other anymore. And you've got tribes developing and nations developing. He, after he scattered them, in the very next chapter, with the world still being broken and still being sinful and people still not wanting to follow what God has told them to do, with people still wanting to settle, God found a man of faith in the very next chapter, a man named Abram. 
And he told Abram, if you go, if you leave where you've settled, if you leave your father's country, if you go to the place that, that I've prepared for you, not the place that, you, that, that, that where you are, if you go to the place that I've prepared for you, I'll make your name great. The people of Babel wanted to make their own names great. And Jesus, uh, God comes down, actually, what's funny in verse 7, where it says, let us go down, that's the Father, that's Jesus, and that's the Holy Spirit all coming down to check out what was going on. So they come down, they spread people out, and then they come back and they find Abram. And the Lord says to Abram, if you'll be faithful, if you'll listen to me, and if you'll follow me, I'll make your name great. And I will bless the whole world through you. And he did that by sending Jesus. Abram's family, Abram was faithful. God changed his name to Abraham. His family was faithful, more or less. God turned his his line into the nation of Israel. And then Jesus came from the line of Abraham as the the fulfillment of God's desire to bring us back to him, to not just need to punish and punish and punish and correct and correct and correct us, but to actually give us a way to be restored and to be saved from sin, to be saved from God's wrath. And in Jesus, we find salvation in him alone, It's a salvation that was pointed to in places like this. It's a salvation that, as we've we've looked at some of the stories uh, from the Old Testament with Jonah and with Daniel and with the flood and here with the Tower of Babel, we see that God, God is a rescuer. Every single time, he's doing something to rescue people, to save us. The Lord came down. The point of this story in the Tower of Babel is that the Lord came down. He didn't just leave us where we are. And the Lord really came down when he came down as Jesus. And the passage that, that we read during, during the, the music is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Lord came down to rescue us. And we follow him And in following him, he teaches us that the goal is not pride. The goal is humility. The goal, Jesus said, the Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. And we follow him. So we're not in it for our good. We're not trying to get everything that we want out of it. We're always looking for how do we follow Jesus? How do we honor Christ in every situation? We're driven in our nature by pride. But Christ in us drives us to honor God because it's Jesus who shows us what humility really looks like, what faith really looks like. And 2 Corinthians 1.20 says that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. So all these stories that we looked at, every time you see God as a rescuer, every time you see a, a hint or, a, or a, a foreshadowing of salvation and rescue, it's all finding its yes, ultimately, in Jesus. So let me ask you, just as we close, what are you holding back from Jesus? 
He came to rescue you from every piece of the brokenness of this world, that we shattered God's beautiful creation, and Jesus came to rescue us from the brokenness. Why would you not just hand everything over to him? And I know that we don't because we still live in this world and we're still surrounded by the brokenness. But the promise from the Bible is that if you confess your sins, if you confess where you've fallen short, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. There is forgiveness, amen? We still mess up, amen? It still hurts. This world is still broken, but God is faithful to forgive those who are faithful to him. We just have to go to him and say, God, I'm done doing what I want to do, and I want to do what you want me to do. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word, and thank you for always looking out for us, even when we don't like it. God, I thank you that you're, you're bigger than our problems. Thank you that you're bigger than us. And the God, th- I thank you that, that though you've limited what we can do, uh, you've done that for our good. And God, I, I pray that, that this morning that you would lead us to become more like you, that this morning as we think about, uh, about sin and the nature of sin and and wanting to do what we want against what you want, and that you never just leave us. You don't abandon us there. You are always coming back to rescue us and to call us back to you. I pray this morning that you would convict our hearts and that you would show us the thing that we need to, to walk away from, the thing that we need to give back to you, the thing that we are still trying to get our way in, the thing that we're still treating like it's like I'm the boss and I get to do whatever I want. God, help us to surrender everything over to you. Help us to lay everything about ourselves and our lives at your feet. Help us to surrender everything to your will. Lord, bring those things to our heart this morning. And if there's anyone in this room whose heart has been hardened to you, God, I pray that you would just soften their hearts. Show them your love. And show them that all of these stories, all of the Bible, what it's pointing us toward is that you want us back. Lord, help us to come back. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take a minute just to reflect on whatever the Holy Spirit was saying to your heart this morning. And uh, if you'd like to pray with someone, Bruce will be up here. I will be up here. We would love to pray with you. Um, If you've got anything going on, we would love to pray with you. Or you could write it on the connection card. Um, Our staff will pray for you and will.